Good afternoon, everyone. It's Dr. Nigro again, our next episode of Psychology Unplugged. As always, the highlight of my week, I uh, get a chance to talk about topics that I am passionate about and continue our mission of the, the of demystifying, destigmatizing, and legitimizing mental health. And I appreciate uh, with sincere gratitude all of the people who are on this journey with us. Uh, it's been really fun working with and talking to a lot of people, both Julie and myself, who have decided to pursue careers uh, in the field of psychology, whether that's doing what I do as a neuropsychologist, uh, going to the field as a psychiatric prescriber like Julie, uh, becoming an individual therapist. So it's been really fun kind of working with, uh, you know, really a worldwide population. Um, and it, what I found in talking with people uh, from across the globe is, is these are common things that are we're all dealing with and not unique to any particular culture or you're not unique to any particular race, uh, political opinion. Um, so mental health, it, it, it does come to us all. And I, I was able to coordinate a time to talk with a psychology student in New Zealand. It was kind of weird. It was, I think, like 12 o'clock my time on the East Coast in Massachusetts. And it was... I think five o'clock or five thirty in the morning um, on Friday, and uh, the topic that she wanted, you know, she had e- or emailed me if we if we could chat. And I said sure, and I happen to have some availability before my neuropsychival. And uh, the topic came up, and she's I think working on a paper in class about uh, <clears throat> labeling in in mental health, and uh, want to know my my perspective on it. And I, I am a strong proponent of labeling. And I think people who, what I explained to her is I think people who uh, take issue with labeling or diagnosing are people that have a level of ignorance and uh, are really ill-informed. Because as I've explained and, and mentioned in multiple podcasts, Whatever somebody is diagnosed with, it's I, I'm very conscientious to convey that whatever it is that your diagnosis may be or diagnoses may be, it is things simply that you you have that is not things that you are. And I think without having a, a common language, it make would make it very difficult for us to be able to research and understand and communicate. So um you know, education is a huge part of this podcast, um, both from uh, our educational standpoints and, and clear clinical experience and just sometimes our, our own perspectives. Um, and I'm sure there's people that, that disagree, um, you know, about labeling, but I don't think that we're going to move away from um a, a categorical or dimensional model of of diagnosing any time in the near future. I think we're simply going to add um, add disorders, add uh, more specifiers, add add more to have a better understanding to truly um, truly be able to articulate and encapsulate the totality of of psychopathology that would constitute a psychiatric disorder. So one of the topics um, 
that I enjoy working with the most uh, are the personality disorders. And when you do diagnostics, it's obviously something that uh, is something you assess for. And uh, borderline is by far, I think, just from looking, I don't really get hung up on analytics and and, and um, that kind of stuff, but it's just kind of... It's kind of neat just to kind of see like how many countries that we're in and, and different things, but looking at just like what, you know what episodes people really find the most interesting and and borderline is definitely the most interesting in terms of just the numbers we have for our podcast, but I think it's also one of the most interesting because uh, it is extremely much more common than uh, people realize. It is significantly underdiagnosed in a vast majority of individuals, especially males. And uh, I will continue to do podcasts on borderline because it's something that is very much misunderstood. Uh, you know, Julie's referenced uh, movies like Base, uh, fatal attraction and, and stuff like that that kind of gives you this uh, this vilification I'm not even sure what the word but it, it, it vilify, vilifies people with borderline personality and a lot of other movies do as well but I think it's also important to understand that, that sometimes that disorder can get to that level of severity um, but personality uh, disorders of themselves require a great deal of training and understanding uh, from multiple different areas of psychology to really be able to understand um, how they come into being. And uh, today we're going to focus on something that I, I, I diagnosed um relatively frequently this isn't this isn't like kind of like a one one in a thousand this is this is some i would say more more common than not is um when we talk about schizoid personality disorder and as so as as soon as anybody hears the word schizo i think there's uh, a shock value associated with it so does that mean that i'm crazy do i have schizophrenia no uh schizoid personality disorder is is a very interesting one and uh good clinical background information in a structured diagnostic clinical interview and the MMPI the Minnesota Multiphasic Personality Inventory is a great assessment uh in being able to di- diagnose a variety of psychiatric conditions schizoid being uh one in particular uh there's schizotypal personality disorder but that will we'll say that to uh, a separate topic so it, it, in understanding personality disorders and personality theory it's it's important um to keep in mind that personality in and of itself is crystallized between the ages of five and eight years of age and I've, I've said this before but i'll break it down very quickly personality is basically my belief about myself my belief about other people my belief about the world in general and based on those beliefs, the conclusions and the therefores that I draw. And we all have personality disorders. I mean, we all have personalities. Uh, again, I've said this many times. I think we should 
uh, evolve a little bit more and call them personality styles. Um, you can be diagnosed with one more than one personality disorder. I have done this on multiple occasions. Uh, I will explain that at a different point in time. It has nothing to do with multiple personality disorders, which is just something that does not even exist. So if you ever read the book Sybil, uh, the author admitted prior to his death that he made the entire book up. Um, so we now use the uh, more appropriate diagnostic category of dissociative identity disorder. So what is this uh, schizoid personality? Uh, what I remember from my doctoral training is, I forget who the professor was, but the best way I remember it, uh, just like I remember dysthymia or persistent depressive disorder is Eeyore, Schizoid personality is your midnight janitor. And in no way am I making a qualitative or quantitative judgment about that position of itself. It's it's this is a very reclusive disorder. So let, let's uh as always I have my DSM with me. Uh it's it's worn and but I like that because I usually get my use out of it. So uh, here are the criteria. The criteria for for um, basically for schizoid, it's it's really a pervasive pattern of of detachment from social relationships and a very restricted range of expression of emotions in any kind of interpersonal settings. Um, so, one. Uh, the individual neither desires nor enjoys close relationships, including being part of a family. They don't have hatred. They don't have animosity. They don't have disdain. They are just, they could be, you can label them the wallflower, the introvert, uh, but they really have no desire. They don't feel they're missing out on any aspect of their life by not having a close family or a close network of friends. Um, they almost always choose solitary activities, reading a book, going to the library, sitting in the park. Um, this is really just, you know, solitary activities that, that, that's, that's their happy place. Uh, very different than someone like myself, who's an extrovert. Um, although I do like my quiet time, Julie's an introvert, um, as you guys probably have picked up over the course of the podcast um number three they have they have little if any interest in, in any sexual experience with another person it's not that they you know they really don't have any desire for intimacy they don't feel that they're they're missing out on anything they don't feel that uh oh my god i'm a certain age i'm not gonna i'm not married uh they're not going on websites or dating apps but they're they're fine with it um they lack close friends or confidants other than first-degree relatives. So they, they tend to remain close to maybe mom or dad, uh, a, a close sibling. But, you know, they're not going to be the life of the party. Um, will they show up to the party? Yeah, I mean, they follow conventional social norms, uh, may bring a gift. But, you know, the need for reciprocity in, in interpersonal dynamics is really, non, is really non-existent in, in these individuals. Um, they, often, they often appear indifferent to the praise or criticism of other people. Uh, it's not that they don't get it, but they're really, 
you know, I think if I think if a lot of us could maybe even incorporate this criteria, which would be really nice, kind of like the the quote I've used by Maslow: "Learn to become independent of the good opinions of other people," which I said is kind of the the penultimate goal and the treatment of borderline personality. But uh, indifferent to praise or criticism, boy, wouldn't wouldn't that wouldn't that at least the criticism part? Wouldn't that be great if? People, you know, whether that's our outfits, our, our appearance, our intellect, our personality, that we can just be like, yeah, whatever. And these individuals have the capacity to do that. Uh, they don't tend to ruminate on it, but they're, they really seem indifferent. It's very hard to rattle them. Uh, but they can show emotional coldness, detachment, and, and flattened affectivity, which is which is kind of a flattened emotion. So you're not going to see them, you know, busting out in laughter. You're not going to see them breaking down in in tears. Um, so it's like you know, you might be thinking like, well, this is kind of a boring person. Uh, yeah, they can be. Uh, but I've, I've worked with enough, and and they're very interesting and and, and fascinating in, in individuals because they everybody has a story to tell. But again, the essential feature of the schizoid personality is the pervasive, and again, being pervasive meaning across all areas and aspects of life, a pervasive pattern of detachment from social relationships and their restricted range of emotions um, in interpersonal relationships. Um, the lack of desire for intimacy they can have a very bland exterior without any visible emotional reactivity um they rarely reciprocate facial expressions uh such as smiles or nods um and they they rarely experience strong emotions such as like anger or joy um and then and sometimes in, in unusual circumstances in which they become uh, at least temporarily comfortable in, in revealing themselves, they may acknowledge uh, feelings related to social inter interactions. And I know from spending enough time with people and doing diagnostics, you know, several hours with people, um, they, when you kind of break that, that exterior down, uh, again, diagnostics is designed to figure out the what, can always figure out the why. And I think, you know, for the vast majority of personality disorders, it comes from very unstable and insecure attachments. That's why I say understanding personality theory and personality disorders, you really need to understand behavioral psychology, clinical psychology, attachment theory, the work of John Bowlby, Mary Amesworth, social learning theory, social learning theory, the work of Albert Bandura, uh, learned helplessness, Martin Seligman, learned optimism, Martin Seligman. So uh, there's a lot of different people and uh, a lot of different fields that contribute simultaneously into our understanding and working knowledge of personality in and of itself. Um, so even, even people with the, with the schizoid personality, they, they even have difficulty expressing anger, even in response to being directly provoked, uh, which contributes to the impression that they really lack emotion. You know, so it's not like you're standing there swearing. I mean, but again, I think everybody has a breaking point. Everybody has a point where they are going to react. It's just not, this is, you know, these are, you know, what I've talked about like uh, physiological reactivity or temperament. I think these individuals have a really, really high temperament that takes a, an inordinate amount of stress um, 
or or some kind of situational variable for even, for them to even start to react in any kind of emotional level. Um, their lives sometimes seem like they're directly uh, di- directionless, and they appear sometimes like to, like to drift in their goals, like back and forth. Um, they often react passively to adverse circumstances uh, and have difficulty responding appropriately to important life events. Um, so, you know, they, they date infrequently. They often don't marry. They have very few friendships. Uh, occupational functioning can be impaired, uh, particularly if interpersonal involvement is involved. And I think that's why that, that uh, analogy of the midnight janitor doesn't require a lot of interpersonal comp- competence. But, you know, being a librarian, you know, there's a pretty solitary job. Uh, maybe working a toll booth. I don't know if we still have people working at Holbrooks anymore, but 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 solitary jobs, working in a mailroom. Um, but if, if if interpersonal involvement is required, these aren't individuals who are going to get up in the middle of a staff meeting, or they're not going to be doing PowerPoint presentations for the board of directors. This is just these aren't these individuals. They are not. Uh, so you know, a lot of you know computer programmers or gamers or stuff like that. People can live very functional lives, but putting them in 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 a, in a social situation is is you know paralyzing for them and they, and they they avoid it and will, and will shut down um but they will but, but i think but they they do do well occupationally when social isolation is an option or part and parcel of what their work expectations and experience is um in response to stress, these individuals, uh, they can have brief psychotic episodes lasting minutes to hours. So here's where schizo kind of comes in. Um, in some instances, some, schizoid personality can be a pre-morbid antecedent of delusional disorder or schizophrenia. Not to sound the warning alarm, but it is in the realm. We have schizo. There's a reason it's associated with these two disorders. I haven't talked about delusional disorder, which is a a separate disorder in and of itself. I will get to that at some point. But it can be a pre-morbid condition to schizophrenia. So family history, we know, of individuals with... A family history of schizophrenia. It's this is why getting a background information is so crucial uh, in doing diagnostics and even even in psychotherapy to understand what is the what is the clinical trajectory. So if there has been you know multiple cases of family members hopefully appropriately diagnosed with schizophrenia, uh, the individual that that you're sitting across from could be at a significantly elevated risk for the development and manifestation of full blown psychosis and schizophrenia. Schizophrenia, um, but individuals with, with 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 schizoid, they can they can develop uh, depression, um, and it's uh, it it they're 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 interesting people to work with, and I think why you know I've worked with them because it's really doing diagnosis very much one on one, but that can do well in a group setting, but they will do well in a one on one setting, and that's why I think uh, people are able to open up. And they tend to respond, uh, from my experience, respond well to when I, I, I do um, the feedback. Um, so in terms of like, like risk and prognostic factors, uh, it, it, it is increased rate of um, 
developing this if there is a family history of schizophrenia. Um, what else do I want to say about this? Um, it, it's, it's more often in, in males, and, and one of the things that is really important um, in distinguishing schizoid from other psychiatric conditions such as uh, delusional disorder, schizophrenia, bipolar disorder with psychotic features, or major depressive disorder with psychotic features, is that those disorders all have a distinct period of psychosis, hallucinations, delusions, one or the other, or both. Um, whereas in schizoid, it may last a few minutes, but it does not persist to the degree, the severity, the duration, and impact that full-blown psychosis manifests. Um, Another important differentiating factor, uh, and this is something that I get a lot in terms of referral question, is this autism. And schizoid can look very much like autism. And there are a lot of symptom overlap because you have the restricted range of emotional expression, you have impaired interpersonal skills, you have the social isolation. Um, so there's a lot of difficulty, but it's differentiated be Here's how you differentiate it. Um, there's more severely impaired social interaction and stereotype behaviors and interests in autism, which you do not necessarily see in schizoid personality. Uh, much more restricted range of emotional expression because schizoids can generally understand it. They just don't necessarily display it. Individuals with autism, it's a skill deficiency where they don't have that in their in their emotional or behavioral repertoire. Uh, similar with the stereotype behaviors and interests, which could be hand flapping, rocking, uh, vocal motor tics, where they're, they're, it's much more demonstrative. But again, it takes uh, you know a, a lot of precision in being able to really parse out is this autism or is this schizoid personality because they look very very similar to each other uh, and again like i said a common referral question that i get so i want to just take some time because i know a lot of you guys like um the personality disorders because uh we all have personalities uh some of us have you know you could take you know just basic you know introvert extrovert um there's many theories of personality, but, you know, you stick really to the work of Adler, of Theodore Milan, uh, of uh, some John Bowlby, Mary Ainsworth, attachment, stuff like that. And again, given that these, given that personality is crystallized at such a young age, it's really important, uh, I think, that, we, that we're mindful of what are the early messages children are receiving about themselves, about other people, about the world. Kids are like sponges, and they pick this stuff up, and they, 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 they gravitate towards what is re, what is familiar, and what is, you know, some some of what is kind of like hardwiring, which is like like temperament, which is our biological disposition to to, to reactivity, and also environmental factors. You know, I mentioned this the diathesis stress model, which is the intersection of uh, genetics. Uh, physiology and also stress and and, and life. So uh, again, these are these are fascinating, uh, from my opinion, fascinating clinical constructs. 
Um, this is one that really does, if there's a question, this, this is one that really does require testing because it can look like other disorders, but the restricted range uh, can look sometimes like avoidant personality, but avoidant uh, is, is really navigating from a place of fear. They're navigating from a place of of, of, of disappointment that they're they're afraid to put this. So they're purposely avoiding where the schizoid is just going about their life, and they may appear aloof and just indifferent. Uh, I would say if you're if you're a, a fan of uh, Taxi, uh, old CB t- sitcom with. Um, Danny DeVito and Tony Danza, uh, Christopher Lloyd who played Iggy, would probably be a good example of somebody with uh, who is schizoid. I'm trying to think of anything more contemporary. Uh, nobody in Seinfeld. Um, uh, so I think The Office. Um, Creed. Creed might be a little, little on the schizoid end, but just just that re- reclusive person, uh, and sometimes these individuals can give off kind of a, a weird vibe because you don't they don't because they're not revealing their emotional expressions, uh, you don't really know where you stand with them. And um, I mean, I've worked with people with schizoid, and and you know who are in relationships and sometimes it can be very frustrating and they're usually in relationships with other people and this is anecdotal uh who have very similar personality characteristics who are not by are not bothered by the lack of emotionality so um julie do you want to add anything because she's here uh thank you guys for all the feedback and the comments on last week's episode of uh another version we did of uh, on adhd um a lot of people reached out and and thanked us for that and uh, I think that's a topic that we probably go into excessively more and more detail um, because everybody who thinks they have ADHD, uh, from my perspective, I can tell you from as many tests as I do uh, and people that I see, the vast majority do not have ADHD. And that's why it's so crucial to get a neuropsych eval so you're not put on a medication for something for a disorder that you do not have. Um, so until next time, uh, I'm, I'm a, we're going to see Bruce next Monday. Uh, so we're going to be staying in Boston for a couple days. So we'll probably be well, trying, I'm going to try and get one in during the week. Uh, if not, we'll be on location with our next podcast. <laughs> It'll be quiet. Um, Julie makes fun of me. Um, so we'll definitely get one in. Uh, so again, our heartfelt appreciation and gratitude to all of our followers and comments. Julie's kind of taken over Instagram, uh, is responding to a lot of people. I try to get back to people, uh, the best I can and fee, uh, please feel, uh, that we are available again and we're not treating anybody, but if we can be, uh, lights in the storm of your life and part of the path of your healing or the, or the start of your educational journey, uh, we are more more than happy to communicate and talk with you guys. So until next time, feel free to reach out to me through, uh, at uh, through Psychology Today. You can email me directly at psychologyunplugged at outlook.com. You can follow us on Instagram at psychology underscore unplugged underscore. And you can contact me directly at 617-750-941 East Coast Standard Time in the United States. Until next time, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, be well, and I will talk to you guys. Bye, guys.